0: Hey, it's Brandon Laws. This episode is brought to you by Zenium HR. The demands of HR and payroll are endless. And Zenium provides a complete solution for both so you can focus on what you do best, which is growing your organization. Learn more about Zenium at zeniumhr.com. Conflict, obstacles, differences. In the working world, leaders and their teams face no shortage of challenges. Unfortunately, according to Adam Kahane, facilitating effective collaboration is possible. If you and your team find yourself running into dead ends when it comes to working together, listen in and learn about a fresh approach for removing the obstacles that hinder forward progression. Enjoy today's episode with Adam Kahane, the author of Facilitating Breakthrough, How to Remove Obstacles, Bridge Differences, and Move Forward Together. We do a deep dive on how to become a transformative facilitator. Reach out to me on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, any of those places. I'd love to connect with you and hear how you're using the show for your development, whether it's you or your teams. Enjoy today's episode and have a great week. Adam, it's a pleasure to have you on Transform Your Workplace. Thanks for coming on to the show. Thanks for having me, Brandon. We're going to talk about your book, Facilitating Breakthrough, How to Remove Obstacles, Bridge Differences, and Move Forward Together. You know, in the book, you you said that moving forward together is becoming much more complex and less straightforward than it has been in the past. Why do you say that? Well, I think it's for a good reason in a way that people have different
1: opinions and perspectives, and they're less afraid or cowed than they used to be about expressing them, whether that's in the workplace or community or politics. So that's a good thing that people don't want to be bossed around, but it makes working together uh, less straightforward than it used to be.
0: So what's the solution to bringing people together? Well, the solution is to
1: abandon the hope that you can control people or get them to do what you want them to do and to invest in collaboration, uh, which means working it out together. And again, that applies in companies, in communities, in countries.
0: You talked in the book a lot about this transformative facilitator, and I imagine that's where you want people to go. But for those that are facilitators right now doing it the wrong way, what are they doing wrong? Well, my basic premise is that the world needs
1: more and better collaboration and therefore more and better facilitation. And I don't just mean by professional facilitators or consultants. I mean that lots of people have to play that facilitating role, whether they're uh, leaders or managers or team members or coaches or consultants. And what I think people are doing wrong is that the two most common kinds of facilitation both run into dead ends the most common kind of facilitation i call vertical facilitation it's where you're focused only on the group as a whole the group's task the group's leader the group's rules the group's perspective the group's solution the group's uh goal and uh that makes sense it's not surprising that it's common that gets you coordination and coherence But if that's all you're focusing on, you end up also with rigidity and domination, especially for the marginalized or minority members of the group who get told, get with the program, be a team player. The other common way of facilitating is the opposite. I call it the horizontal way of facilitating. It's where you focus not on the group as a whole, but on every member of the group and what they think and what they want and what they're trying to do and ultimately on their free choice. And that also has a lot of advantages. It prioritizes diversity and agency. But if that's all you're doing, you end up with fragmentation and gridlock. So what I'm saying is the two most common ways people try to facilitate, both run into the sand pretty quickly. And if you're trying to move forward together in a diverse group, you need to do something different than those two.
0: What was the genesis of this book? I imagine you in the past had probably run into both of these types of facilitations, whether it's vertical, horizontal. Did you run across a, a specific situation where you found some sort of breakthrough that led you to writing this book and sharing your ideas with other people? I'll tell you in a minute the specific inspiration for
1: this book. But just to finish what I was saying before, once I decided to write the book, and I'll come back to how I got the idea, but once I decided to write the book, I realized that this vertical approach and horizontal approach they sound like a choice but they're not they're a polarity like inhaling and exhaling you don't get committees in favor of inhaling and committees in favor of exhaling even though you get at facilitator conferences committees in favor of vertical and committees in favor of horizontal but the breathing metaphor says we got to do both of these not at the same time but alternately as needed so What I'm calling transformative facilitation says that you need to use both the vertical and horizontal, not a compromise between them, but both of them alternately. And this isn't really a new, I'm not proposing a new way of facilitating. I think this is what all great facilitators do. It's what I've been doing for a long time, but it is a new way of describing what's required to have facilitation that really enables people to move forward together. I had the specific idea for the book four years ago. I'd been facilitating for almost 30 years. I've done it literally all over the world in companies, in communities, in countries. And this particular experience in 2017 was in the country of Colombia uh, one year after the signing of the peace treaty that ended the 52-year civil war. And I was working with a group of Colombian leaders, business CEOs, Politicians from different parties, indigenous people, Afro-Colombians, members of the just demobilized FARC guerrilla army. And the workshop was going well. This was a group that was saying, now that we have agreed to stop killing each other, how are we going to move forward together as a country? And the workshop was going quite well and people were starting to have this idea that maybe there'd be something they could do together. In some ways, it was an ordinary workshop. If I showed you a video of it, it would look like a lot of workshops you've seen, people sitting in a circle, in small groups, writing on post-its, building models with Lego, going for walks, eating together. So in a way, it was what you'd think a creative workshop of a diverse team would look like. And at the end of the first day, one of the participants, who's a a famous Colombian peacemaker named Pacho Daru, who used to be the head of the Jesuits in Colombia, comes running up to me and he says, Adam, I see what you're doing. And I said, well, Pacho, what am I doing? He says, you're removing the obstacles to the expression of the mystery. Anyhow, this is a hard sentence to understand. And I've spent the last four years uh, trying to unpack that one sentence. And for me, the key thing that I got immediately from what Pacho said is that even though most people think facilitation is about getting people to do things, that actually that's not what it's about at all. And we really have very little capacity to get anybody to do anything. And what it's about instead is removing the obstacles to people doing what they think they need to do to move forward together. So... That was the inspiration for the book. And from that one sentence, removing the obstacles, the expression, the mystery, I've gradually unpacked this new theory and practice of what I call transformative facilitation, which involves moving back and forth between vertical facilitation and horizontal facilitation.
0: Did you know that you were removing obstacles? Was that an intentional part of your facilitation model? Or was that something that you did? It was an aha after that that one sentence, that one phrase that the person said? I knew that it wasn't
1: about getting people to do things, because when I give talks on facilitation, 100% of the time, people will ask me, well, how do you get people to do this or that? How do you get people to come together? How do you get people to open up. How do you get people to commit? And I realized that that wasn't an accurate way of describing what I was doing. And I knew that I was focusing on setting things up in a way that would enable people to move forward together, setting things up. You know, the room, the mandate, you know, the physical, political, psychological container which people could work. But I didn't realize that what I was doing was removing obstacles. And so that one idea was like a bolt of lightning. And now I could go back and look at everything my colleagues and I had done in organizing the meeting in who to invite, in how the room was set up, in the agenda, in the exercises, in how we comported ourselves. That everything comes down to removing obstacles and more specifically removing obstacles to equitable connection and contribution. And I got to there from the statement Pacho made to me.
0: And when you when you say removing obstacles, is that leading up to the time you're facilitating? So is everything that you and your team are doing beforehand, or is this happening or is it unfolding during the meeting or whatever's happening? Maybe some examples. Yeah both
1: i'm offering a bigger definition of facilitation it's not just professional facilitators it's anybody who's helping a group move forward together and it's not just the person standing beside the flip chart or in the zoom window it's all of the activities before during and after meetings that enable people to move forward together and this may occur over days or decades and we've had projects that have gone on for decades people just continuing to move forward deal with issues, find the next step, etc. But I realize that a lot of this can be understood in a really simple way as removing obstacles to equitable connection and contribution. And usually there's there's structural obstacles in some way. So, for example, for years we've been designing workshops where, for example, at the very beginning everybody introduces themselves or says know, what they think about the situation and is given a minute each. So that's an example of a very simple, ordinary thing. But I can understand that, oh, that's about everybody having the same opportunity to contribute their voice, their perspective. And it's not that the boss talks for half an hour and other people just listen. A second thing that we've done forever is we know that there's times when everybody has to be in the same conversation, a plenary conversation. That's Allows a connection to the group as a whole. But we also know that people much prefer the time in small groups because more people can contribute more fully in a group of three or four or five than in a group of thirty or forty or a hundred. As I said, I'm not offering a new way of facilitating, I'm offering a new way of understanding what good facilitation is and this idea that it's 75 or 80 or 100% of it is just about removing the obstacles to equitable contribution and connection. That's the breakthrough.
0: How do transformative facilitators define success? Because I imagine with just normal facilitation, like the vertical facilitation that you described, the facilitator has an idea probably in their mind about like what success would be. It's like signing the deal or whatever is the the goal and they're trying to get the team to do it. But The way you've already described transformative facilitators, it sounds like you're trying to get everybody to move in the same direction. So how do you define it? Well, um, what I say in the book is that
1: there's five questions that the facilitators have to ask and answer, usually not once but over and over. And one of these questions is the one you've just asked, which is what does success look like? The vertical answer is success looks like a conclusion, that we make a deal, we come to an agreement, we wrap things up, and that's very helpful, that gives you a finish line. The horizontal answer to the question, what does success look like, is we're moving forward. We may not have resolved everything, there may be new things that come up, but we're continuing to work together and make our way forward. So both of these are useful, and transformative facilitations, like all the other elements, says we need to do both. Yes, we need to reach conclusions, maybe on partial things or or small things. That's what gives us the confidence to continue to move forward. But usually situations don't get solved once and for all, and then it's done. What's needed is a way to continue to work together and collaborate and figure out stuff as stuff needs to be figured out. And so we need concluding and we need advancing, and we need to move back and forth between these two poles.
0: Do the facilitators define some sort of journey that everybody's going to go on to whatever conclusion they're trying to get to? Or is it more fluid than that versus like hitting certain milestones along the way? It's again, a
1: polarity. And the reason this polarity idea is so important is there's all kinds of questions like the ones you're asking where half the facilitators give the vertical answer and half give the horizontal answer. And they're both half right. So on the question you just asked, it's very useful to make a plan, to rehearse, to have the milestone set out. I call this mapping or planning. And it was Dwight Eisenhower who said that plans are useless, but planning is everything. So it's very useful to make plans. And we have to understand that most of the time, the way things work Especially in complicated situations with diverse people, we're going to have to change course as we go along. So, the vertical answer is mapping, the horizontal answer is discovering as we go along. And I keep saying this because this is the basic idea in the book transformative facilitation involves moving back and forth between mapping and discovering, making plans, making adjustments, making a new plan, diverging from it, etc.
0: One thing I'm very curious about, and I imagine the answer is probably somewhere between vertical and horizontal, but when you talk about roles and responsibilities of a group, let's say that group of people, leaders in Colombia, like different backgrounds, probably want different things. How do you define roles and responsibilities for that group? Do they make the decisions? Do you do it as a facilitator? I'd be curious how you come to that conclusion. The Columbia case is extreme, but
1: I wouldn't want to be misunderstood as saying that, no, no, this only applies if you're facilitating in a civil war situation. I think that the same basic dynamics are true in all groups. And the part that is the same is that in any diverse group of people, which means any group of people, you're going to have differences, you're going to have disagreements, you're going to have conflicts, and to a greater or lesser extent... People are going to do what they choose to do, even if you're the boss and they're pretending to go along with you. To some extent, the facilitator, if they're trusted, can direct like a orchestra conductor saying, OK, I need to hear from the violins now. I need to hear from the oboes now. The drums should come in now. So there is that directing that works some of the time. And others of the time, people are getting on with what they need to do. And the facilitator needs to be accompanying, you know, like a bass accompanying in a rock band. You're following along, you're supporting. So this is one of the other polarities, but all of this is about people collaborating without one person telling everybody else what they're going to do. If you want to do that, that's fine, but that's not facilitating, that's bossing.
0: Where can people use this method of transformative facilitation is it the boardroom? Is it uh, in your situation in Columbia? It Could it be anywhere? Or is there a particular place that it is more successful than others? The way I wrote this book is to be
1: useful to anybody in any situation where they're facilitating. And I'm defining facilitating as helping a group collaborate to affect change. So this Approach is not useful if people don't want to collaborate, if somebody just wants to tell other people what to do, and if people don't want things to change. They want to talk, but they don't actually want to change anything. If people are trying to collaborate to affect change, then this method is useful, whether it's carrying on from a civil war in Colombia or uh, dealing with a decision in a community or Making a plan in a company, anytime you have a diverse group that is trying to collaborate to create change, then this kind of facilitation will help you.
0: I think you said earlier that you have over 30 years of experience in facilitating. Is this something that you were certified and trained in to do? Like, how could somebody become the transformative facilitator that you're describing in the book? without perhaps the 30 years of experience meaning like how do how do they get training to to be as good as you are
1: I've had a little bit of facilitation training early on. I now see it as having been primarily training in vertical facilitation. There are training courses that are available in vertical or horizontal, but mostly you learn this by practicing, just like you learn any practical thing. I mean, I suppose there's also courses that people take uh, before they get married, but you learn how to be successful in a marriage by being married, not by taking a course in it, and that's true. For a lot of things involving people or management or marriage or facilitation so the way i've learned it is mostly by trying stuff out and getting feedback and making mistakes and trying again and gradually learning how to do it and developing some muscle memory So that, oh, when we're in that situation, I know what to do because I recognize it. I've seen it 20 times before. So I do think that the way you learn any of these leadership skills is by doing, by trying and failing. And trying again over and over. It might not take you 30 years, but it's going <laughs> right. to take you more than a few weeks.
0: Right. And I imagine that feedback loop is pretty important, too. So asking the questions of, you know, do we accomplish what we needed to accomplish? Or even checking in and seeing if the group is still moving forward together, too. I, I imagine that that would be helpful as well, figuring out if the work that you're doing is successful or not.
1: Well, I think facilitation is everything, which doesn't mean it's easy to be told how you could do better. But in Rios, we're pretty religious about always asking each other and participants and clients what are we doing well that we need to keep doing and what do we need to be doing better i don't know any other way to learn except to keep asking that question and act on what you hear
0: adam it's been a pleasure having you on the show any parting thoughts or you want to point people to something feel free to you know have the last word and share with listeners anything that you want Well, the book's called Facilitating Breakthrough.
1: The organization I'm part of is called Rios Partners, R-E-O-S Partners. And the reason I wrote this book and the reason I'm happy to be on podcasts like this one is I think the world needs more and better collaboration uh, and therefore more and better facilitation. I think the alternative is living in a world where Some people try to boss other people around, and I don't think that works so well. So that's why I've written what I've written and why I talk about what I talk about.
0: My guest today has been Adam Kahane. Adam, thanks for coming on the podcast. It's been such a pleasure. My pleasure, Brandon.